What do you think? You can guess where we are in Joshua? We're looking at the Battle of Jericho, and it's not what you think. Listen carefully, because it's not the battle you think. I think we ought to sing that song a little different. I think we ought to sing it, Jesus Fought the Battle of Jericho. And I'll tell you why before we're done. You know, a a person's worldview, the way they view the whole world, really impacts and colors everything about their life. It certainly colors their faith, their spiritual life. But a person's worldview also covers their political life, how they view politics, uh, how they view society, how they view the noisy neighbor next door or the rude driver in traffic. You know, worldview affects everything about us. And for people who are in science, educators, scientists, archaeologists, their, their worldview really affects what they see. Because what they believe about this world, where it came from, where it's going, is going to impact how they view everything, even things that you would think would be science. You know, in uh, 1930, a lady, or first a man named Langston, visited Jericho. And Jericho is a really interesting city. We have a few pictures you can get get an idea, but Jericho is, is one of the oldest cities in the world. The elevation of Jericho made it one of the very lowest cities in the world. I think it was over 600 feet below sea level. Uh, For instance, Amsterdam and some of those cities are a little below sea level. Uh, The Death Valley is 280 feet below sea level. So Jericho was, was a unique city. And it was a unique city because it was one of the very first walled cities that has been discovered in all of history. There aren't very many walled cities. And as you, you look at that picture, you can see that, and I want to show you a couple things out of this. You can see that that outer wall uh, encircled the whole city, which was probably that outer wall could have been as much as 10 acres. So we're not talking about a huge area. When I have envisioned this in the past, I think about them walking around the city every day, and I say, wow, they'd really get tired. Well, no, I don't know how long it would take. I didn't calculate it, but maybe an hour or two to walk around the city. So on the seventh day, it would take uh, the better part of the day. But that, So that outer wall, they think, was about 12 feet high, and the thickness is hard to tell because of the ruins. We're going to see some ruins in a second. But but there were people camped or living between the outer and inner wall. And uh, you can see that inner wall. And if, if you were uh, walking around that city and looking up, that inner wall, the top of it, would be between 30 and 40 feet high because the outer wall was 12 feet high. There was some elevation. And then the inner wall would be up above that. Pretty massive, right? Pretty intimidating. And it also looked like it was pretty safe. So the people inside would have gathered, and in the archaeological evidence, what they find is uh, there was a stream there. They had had water. They had actually a spring, so they had fresh water. They planned it well. And in the ruins, they found grain. They found containers of grain still, after all of these years, that were stored away. 
So these people from the outlying areas, as you look around, that would have would have lived around the the community here, when a threat came, what would they have done? They'd have ran into it and and uh, enter, entered the fort inside of it, and they would have felt pretty safe. They had water, they had food, they had these enormous walls, and they would have thought themselves to be very very safe. Uh, when this uh, first gentleman. Uh, 1930-something, visited Jericho, one of the first major archaeological digs there. He looked at what he saw, and he went back to the book of Joshua, and he said, what I see is consistent with what I'm learning in the book of Joshua. So I, I think that this fits. Now, let me ask a question here at the front end. If we didn't have any evidence from archaeology, would we still believe the story of Joshua and Jericho? I would. I would trust the Bible and the story over I would trust the finds of archaeology. And yet, if this city existed as it did, and it did, and, and if this city was this massive and had all the things that we're going to read about, then there probably should be some archaeological evidence for it. It makes sense. It's 3,500 years old. It wouldn't be much. It'd be ruined. But there should be some evidence. Well, there is. And when he looked at the evidence, he said it fits with the book of Joshua. It fits the time period around 1400 when they would have come through that area. And it just fits the book. Then around 1950, a lady came through, another Brit, and she looked at exactly the same evidence. Here's where worldview enters. And after looking at the evidence and looking at the pottery and looking at the fragments, she said, no, it couldn't have been. That city was ruined at least 200 years before Joshua would have gotten through there in 1400. The interesting thing is this. And I, I you know, reading about this, this, this is interesting. When she was looking through the fragments, and it's a very tedious job. Do you ever see them do that? They sift them, and it's, it's very tedious. It's very detailed. Not the kind of job I would like. But they go through every little fragment, and they look at the pottery, and they can identify the period of time that the pottery would have come from. And so they're going through the fragments, and what she saw was from an earlier period. Well, we would say there's nothing to say that there was not a community there two, three, five hundred years earlier. There probably was. But then later, somebody came back in behind her, looked at exactly the same evidence again, and they said she missed it. She put the blinders on, and she did not want to see the evidence that was from the period of Joshua. So I say all of that to say, there is good evidence, not only from Scripture, there's good evidence from archaeology that the city of Jericho existed and that it was exactly like it's described. Now, we sang, and the kids sang, uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And as I've read this story over and over and over again, I'm not sure that that's descriptive. I really think Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. And I think the battles that Joshua fought, there were several. 
but it really didn't have anything to do with the walls. You track with me. You can argue with me later if you like. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. But here's the Battle of Jericho out of Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. That was the battle. It was a battle of faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. As I read through this, there there are four questions that I pulled out of this. And uh, you think with me, I think they're on the back of your bulletin, but these are questions that were that formed the real battle at Jericho. And the first one Steve started on last week, and it's who's in control? Who's in control? Is Joshua in control? Are the people in control, or is God in control? It, it's the most important question we'll ever ask. Who's in control? Then the, the second question is, is can our leader really keep his promises? God makes a lot of amazing promises. And I think we have to say, can he keep them? Can God keep his promises? And I think that's the question they had to ask themselves. It's a preposterous plan to take Jericho. Can God keep his promises? And and then the question that grows out of that was that, will we do what God says? Will we obey? God has given us very specific commands, and they were very specific. As we read through, you'll see that. And so are we going to do it or are we not going to do it? And if we don't do it, what are the consequences? And if we do it, what are the consequences? And, and the last question then is just that. What are the results of obedient faith? So that's the way I want to look at the passage. You track with me and think it through with me. You know, if, if I were looking at Jericho and I, I look at those walls, I could come up with some plans as to how to take the city. How about you? What's a good plan to take that city? You're walking up there, you have your soldiers around you, and you're looking at this walled city. What are you going to do? Are you going to maybe lay siege? You're just going to sit out there and wait till you starve them out? Well, that was going to be tough because they had food and they had water, and they may outlast you, so that might not have worked. What's another plan? Come on, somebody tell me a plan to take Jericho. What would you have done? What'd you say? Oh, okay. <laughs> that would be good now. Yes, yeah. Uh, maybe a catapult, except catapults weren't invented until much later, so that wouldn't work. But uh, something like that. Come on, what's it, what else? What would you think of? How would you take Jericho? What'd you say? Okay, ladders. That's the first thought I had, one of the first. I'd, I only problem with that is what? You're going to lose a lot of people getting up over that wall. And not only you got to get over the inner wall, you got to get over the outer wall. And they're going to be sitting up there waiting on you. It's going to be tough. You're going to lose a lot of people. But maybe that's not such a good plan. What else? Well, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, how about uh, somehow a battering ram? You know, let's batter those gates down. Well, in the meantime, you're going to lose half your soldier. So none of those are going to work very well in the case of Jericho. Um, I don't think a Trojan horse would work. I, they made, those didn't come to much later either. So I, I don't know what the plan would be. But whatever plan we would contrive would be costly. So the, the plan that God came up with that God contrived is a ridiculous plan. 
In fact, it's the stupidest plan I've ever heard of, except for all the rest. You know, um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember which politician said that democracy is the worst form of government on earth, except for all the rest. Winston Churchill is the one that's noted for saying it. Well, this is the stupidest plan on earth, except for all the rest. And why is this plan reasonable? Because it was God's plan, right? And, and God's plans work. And so it's really not a stupid plan at all. It's the only plan that will work because it's God's plan. Another thing to keep in mind here is you, as you look at the geographic layout of this, they had crossed the Jordan. They're now into Canaan. And looming directly in front of them is this huge walled city. Canaan, the land of victory, the land of peace, the land of blessing, is never going to be theirs as long as Jericho stands in the way. Because always there's going to be the threat of the people coming out of Jericho and doing them harm as, as long as it exists. And so Jericho is an obstacle that has to be dealt with. It, it has to be out of the way and solved before they can take Canaan and live in peace, live in victory there in that land that God had promised. I think it's that way in our Christian life. You know, there's so many parallels in this as I look at it. There's so many parallels to our Christian life. For example, as you read the instructions, we will in just a minute, we're going to read starting back at Joshua 5.13. A lot of reading, but we need to. But as we read the instructions, one thing will become really obvious. There's the prominence of the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the most visible part of Israel's army. What did the Ark of the Covenant signify? The presence of God, right? And so as they're marching and as they're preparing right out in front of them constantly, is the visualization of the presence of God. Folks, that's the way it has to be for us, is that we have to know the presence of God in our life, and we have to know that he's with us. We have to have that confidence in order to take Canaan land, our Canaan land today. The, the second thing that strikes me is you can't read this passage without noticing the number seven, seven, seven. I've marched seven times on the seventh day, and the, the constant use of the number seven. And if you'll just think for a moment, the, the first time that you see the number seven is at creation. God rested on the seventh day. The seventh day was God's day. Seven's a number of completeness. It's a number of fulfillment. It's God's number. And so why did God, why didn't he tell him to go five times? Why didn't he tell him to go six times? That's a number of man. Shouldn't do that. Don't go seven times, seven days. Why? Well, they knew the story. Remember, Moses is already gone. They knew the story of creation. They knew what seven meant. And this constant reminder of the presence of God, the glory of God, the power of God in their midst, they needed it, and it was always with them. And so as, as you see them embark on this task of taking Jericho, God is right at the center. Let's look first at, uh, back to chapter 5, verse 13, and let's ask the question, who's in control? 
before we do that, we ought to pray. We need help, right? Okay. Father, I am just amazed at the story of Jericho. Lord, on a human level, there's nothing reasonable about this story. We've told it to our children and wondered. It's been used in every Sunday school and perhaps that's ever existed. And and teachers have taught it without thinking it through, without ever pondering, is this story true, that it happened? But God, I pray through faith sides this morning, we will see the walls of Jericho come down. Lord, help me to see the walls of Jericho come down. God, Canaan, that you've provided for us, that wonderful land, that sweet land that you've provided will never be ours as long as the obstacle Jericho looms in the way. Lord, we want to see it come down. And, and Lord, I want to see it come down in my life. I want to see the obstacles between me and you, between the blessing of communion with you. I want to see those obstacles brought down. And God, I, I pray that that's true for all of us today. We thank you again for your word. We thank you for this great story. Lord, I pray that it would become just a, a part of our heart and mind in a new way today as, as we see you work on behalf of your people. And we give you thanks in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Read with me, starting back at 513, that first question, who's in control? When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? Notice his answer really carefully. And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And then just down to 6-2. Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men. That encounter in 513 is critical to what we see in chapter 6, the walls coming down, because the question of who is in control was the difference in the walls coming down and not coming down. If Joshua and the people were in control, then they were going to go back to battering rams and ladders and whatever else. But with God in control, God had a plan. And I think of this, and I think of my own salvation. You know, as a young man, I, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I didn't know very much. I don't know very much now. I knew less then. And, and I just heard that Christ died for my sins. Well, this I knew. I had done wrong. God's word is sin. I would sinned. I knew that to be true. I knew it without question. And I knew I wasn't really a great guy. 
the Lord and I both knew that. I didn't know how to solve a sin problem. I, I'm not sure I was preoccupied with it, but it came to my mind sometimes. It was, how, do I, how do I solve this? And then one day, I heard very simply the, the gospel of Christ. I heard John 3.16. And in my simple mind as a teenager, uh, I believed it. I believed that Christ died for my sins. And I believed that by placing my trust, my faith in him, as the one who was in control of my salvation, I believed I would be saved. And you know what happened? I was saved. I was saved. I I won't say it's been a perfect life, but I was saved. There was no question. But the first question had to be who was in control. And, you know, it's for by grace that we're saved. You know these verses. It's not of ourselves, not of works, not of the things that we do, but it's of grace that we're saved. And he's got to be in control. He's got to be in control of salvation, but he's also got to be in control of the Christian life, of how we live it day to day. If God's not in control, it's not going to go very well. Could I, could I tell you that again? That if God's not in control, it's not going to go well. Um, I've seen it, folks. I've lived it. And I can just tell you that when I take back control of my life and stop listening to the Lord, it doesn't go very well for me. And it won't for you either. And the, the starting point is that God's got to be in control. Joshua got it. You see it? Uh, the, he met the commander of the Lord's army, and the first thing he did was what? He dropped down. He bowed his will to the Lord. And he said, okay. I think he was saying, wasn't that what he was saying? He's saying, okay, okay, I see it. Yes, you're, you are the Lord. In fact, he says on... Going on, he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? You see the relationship there? Do you see that he was aware that, that it was God that was in control? It was the commander of the Lord's army that was in control and not him, and that, that he was surrendering. What, what do you want your servant to do? Well, that is the first battle of Jericho, and maybe, maybe the greatest battle Jericho. I'll say that every time because I think each one of these is really important. But that, that's a big battle is who's in control. That's a battle for us this morning. Isn't it? Isn't it a battle for us? Who's in control? Who's in control of my life? Well, who's in control of my salvation? But who's in control of my spiritual life, my well-being? Then you keep reading. You pick it up at, at chapter 6, verse 3. And I, I think the next question is this. There are some really strange commands given here. And on, in my humanness, one of the questions I would ask is, can God do this? Can God do this? Can he really somehow bring the walls down? Can he get us in past Jericho with a plan like this? Can he do it? Is God capable? And don't you think the question of is God capable is one of the big battles we face, one of the big spiritual battles? Is God capable? God's made a lot of promises. He's made a lot of promises to me and to you. You know what he told me? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you can be also. You know he said that? Is God capable of keeping that promise? Is he? You know what else he said to me? 
He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish, and nobody's going to pluck them out of my hand. And my father that's greater than all, he's got them. He's got you. Now, isn't the question that we have to answer, is God really able to keep that promise? Is he able? Is the eternal sovereign God able to keep his promises? Read just three through five with me. You men march around the city. All the men of war around the city once. This you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest will blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the city walls will fall down. The walls of the city will fall down. And I'll just say it one more time. That's a ridiculous plan, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you conceive of of a hundred better plans than that? You do this, you do this, you do, and then the walls fall down. And so I think the question is, is God capable, is the leader, in this case, the leader of the Lord's army, is he capable of doing what he said? But but isn't that true? He, how many promises does he give us? How many promises does he give us? I don't know how. I've never tried to count them. But you know what he told me? He said, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Yeah. It, is God capable of taking our cares or is he not? It, it, isn't that a question to ask? Is he capable? Think of a promise that God's made to you. Talk to me. Tell me. Give me a promise God's made to you. You have to say it loud. I don't hear very well. Come on. Give me a promise. Say it again. I've overcome the world. Okay. Good promise. Give me another one. I didn't hear it. Okay. Give me another one. Another good promise of God. Okay. Yeah. Good. Another promise, something God said he'd do for you. Okay. Um, did he do that? Yeah. Now, chew on this with me again, folks. Who were these people? Who was it was marching around these walls? This was, this was Israel. This was God's people. Right? Okay. And what had they seen? What had they seen? Had they been in Egypt? Well, well this generation, uh, they had a few problems, the ones that came out of Egypt, but they knew the story very well. They knew the story of deliverance from Egypt. Had they known about the Red Sea? Yeah. Had they see that? Did they see the manna in the wilderness? Yeah. Did they see how God had provided step by step by step and protected them? Yes. And so when they ask the question, can God do it, don't you think history ought to be part of that? And shouldn't we be asking the question out of that, has God done it? Has God done it? Has he done it in the past? Um, the answer is yes, he has. And uh, he's done it, and he can do it again. And so 
the question is answered. And how do we know the question's answered? Well, the question's answered by as we continue reading. Because in their decision, can God keep his promises, that was going to determine whether or not they obeyed. That was going to be the first determinant. Because if he can't keep his promises, then I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to do it. If, if God can't keep his promise for eternal life, then I'm not going to believe on him for eternal life. Right? But he can't. And so I will. And so as you read on, what you see is you see him put their faith into action. You see that they really did believe him. How do I know they believe him? Because they obeyed him. Right? So we're going to read a large section here. You hang with me, and it's a great story. We're going to pick it up at verse 6 and uh, read that next section. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. That just sounds familiar. It's just like the instruction given. And let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpet with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the rear while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word come out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to encircle the city, going about at once. And they came to the camp and spent the night in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord. And the ark's still right in the middle, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, so they did for six days. But on the seventh day, they arose early at the dawn of the day. They marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city, and that all that's within it, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom you sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest uh, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and uh, make a camp in Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Now, let me stop. At that point, that's a lot of reading, and uh, maybe maybe more than we should do in this setting. But I think that story is really important. Um, there's an important little clause in this story. He says, "Don't take any of the precious things that are dedicated to the Lord. Don't touch them." Now, what we're going to see is that that the the captain of the Lord's army is up to the task. He's going to be able to bring the walls down. We're going to see it in just a second. 
And the people are going to do what he says. But then when we come to the next chapter, there's an amazing thing that happens. Is that they go up to this little city, Ai. And this is next week, a preview, but it, it fits right in here. And they're looking out at Ai and they say, that's going to be a piece of cake. We don't need any help with this. Just send a few people up and we'll take care of Ai. But they get routed. Why did they get routed? Because of sin in the camp. Because they weren't obeying the Lord. And here you find them obeying the Lord to the letter, even to the point of Rahab. This Rahab, what a character Rahab is. Uh, what a character in the plan of God, in the lineage of Christ. What a lady. But she believed God. But all the silver and gold, verse 19, and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So there's all the instruction. And they believed it. And they did it. They walked around that city. They walked around the city once, an hour and a half maybe. They walked around the city again and again and again and again. And then on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times. The shout went up. And what happened? The walls came down. 20, 20 and 21, 22 tells you that it happened. It worked just exactly like God planned. Now, let's go back and think that through a little bit. Any of you guys have any hard battles in your life? I, I, I have some hard battles in my life I, right now. Um, some that, that occupy my mind all the time. And uh, some of them are really difficult. I don't know what to do about them. I, I just don't know what to do. And I think that my starting point has to be to ask the question, who's in control? God, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I, I can't put a ladder up over this obstacle. I can't batter it down. I can't bring it down. Uh, probably neither could you. You can't do it either. So then I have to say, Lord, can you do it? And folks, this isn't an easy question. <laughs> This isn't routine. That question, God, can you do it? I ask it all the time. I ask it in subtle ways. Do you? Yeah, let me tell you, you do. We all do. We ask it. God, can you really, really bring down Jericho that's in my life? Can you really bring down the obstacle that's in my life? Can you bring it down? Yeah. He can bring it down. Sometimes it doesn't happen exactly like we plan, but it happens like he plans. But he can bring it down. He's capable. And so then the question becomes, really important question, am, am I going to listen? Am I going to obey? Am I going to do what he says? Am I going to live like he says? That's the question, folks. Yes, we are saved by grace. But he tells us that it's our place to place our trust and our faith in our Savior. And there's a place for us in this formula. Always a place for us in the formula. We can trust him or we cannot trust him. We can do what he says or not do what he says. And, and I, these obstacles are large. Guys, I don't know what to do about them. 
I just, some of you probably know what I'm talking about. I don't know what to do. And so I, I am driven to the Lord. Now, when I think of the people of Jericho, on a human level, they had it made. Everything was under their own control, right? They, they had the great walled city. They had water. They had food. Uh, they could last indefinitely. And, and everything was under their control. But you know what? Nothing was under their control. Nothing at all was under their control because it was under God's control. And, and the same exact thing is true today. People think, you may think, I'm controlling my life. No, you aren't controlling your life. Your life is as fragile as a heartbeat. You're not controlling your life. God's controlling your life. He's controlling the next heartbeat. And, and that's true of everything in life. That's true right now with the obstacles that are in my life and yours, is that they're in God's control. And if, if he doesn't bring the walls down, they aren't coming down. Now, maybe he'll work in a different way. I've seen that. He might. He might. I'm letting my mind go a little bit on how that might look in my own situations. But, but you know, no matter how it looks, I have no choice but to trust him. I have no place else to go. No place else to go but to trust him. I'm reminded that when Christ is looking out at the apostles, a lot of people were floating away and leaving him, and he looks at the 12 and he says, well, what about you guys? Are you going to go also? And Peter looked at him and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And I've added a word, forgive me for this, but you only have the words of eternal life. Guys, that's true this morning, that he only has the words of eternal life. And I guess, let me just stop there long enough to say, have, have you ever placed your total trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the Lord of your life, as the one who solves the problem of sin? We all have the sin problem. Have you ever placed your trust totally in him? If not, this would be the day to do that. Today. And without question. Today. Just to, to just surrender to him. And then, for those of us who are, who are believers, uh, do we really trust God with the obstacles in our life, no matter what they are? We read this last little bit, verse 20. The people shouted, trumpets were blown, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet and they shouted with a great shout, the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man went straight up and they captured the city and it goes on and they destroyed the city, but they spared Rahab, we learned. Just exactly like the Lord said. So what are the results of obedient faith? What are the results? The results are victory. Victory can look different. Do you know, folks, I, I've stood by the bed, and I'm sorry for this illustration, but, but I think it's apropos. I've stood by the bed many times of people who were in their latter days, latter moments, and I've said, Lord, usually it has to 
be settled like this. Lord, your will be done in this life as it is in heaven. And then I've stood and watched them going to eternity. And you know what? God's will was done on earth just like it was in heaven because they instantly were in his presence. In a moment, they were in his presence. That's not morbid, folks. That's reality. That's where we live. That's where we are. And that's the result of obedient faith. That's the result of putting our trust, our confidence in God. But, but we're living here and now. I can tell you this. There is, there is no profit to living outside of God's direction and God's control. There's no profit to it. It's hell on earth. That's what it is. But there's peace. There's peace. And there's meaning and there's purpose in, in living in God's will. Right? Could somebody say amen to that? Is there peace in living in God's will? And so let's kind of just recap the story for a second. As you look back over it, um, I think the question is always this. Who's in control? Who's in control of my life? Who's in control of my salvation? But who's in control of my spiritual life? Who is it that's in control of my life? And my physical life. Who's in control? And, and then growing out of that, the question is, is he able to do what he says he can do? Is he able? And then, what am I going to do? Am I going to obey? Am I going to do what he says? And, and if I do, you know what I can expect? I can expect the walls of Jericho to come down. Whatever it is, I can expect the walls to come down. Lord, help us today to trust you more fully. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never placed their faith in you for salvation, God, trouble their heart today. I, I pray that that would be today, that there'd be no question. Then, Lord, for those of us who help our unbelievers to know that you are in control. God, we love you. And we give you thanks that we are your children. Thank you for the story of Jericho. Thank you that we can see the walls come down. We can see the walls come down in every obstacle in our life. Lord, thank you for that. Help us now, Lord. Uh, do in our hearts the work that you want to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.